Chapter 3, God is on the move. I hope that you're moving with the Lord. You moving and grooving with Jesus, church? All right, amen. Check out first service. If you didn't know, we preach two different services. Uh, I preach two different messages in each service. So the first service was kind of lit, just to be honest with you. God was moving. Some of you all stay for a second because it's like your conference every week, amen. It's like a conference. You get two messages. So check it out, and I'm telling them to do the same. But turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We are in the book of John in first service going verse by verse. Right now in second service, we're taking a break after we completed the book of Galatians. If you've noticed for the last few weeks, I've been preaching out of Kings, which was a book I had never preached out of before as I did, and God gave me some new fresh messages, so I hope you enjoyed it. But today I want to preach on your competence in ministry. Everybody say competent in God. I want to talk about being competent in God for your ministry. And then by God's grace, second service, we're going to take on a new book. Everybody go, ooh, I'm working on it right now. I'm having the Lord speak it to me. I'm just getting ready. And then both services will be going verse by verse through a book of the Bible. That is exciting. And if we start a third service, then I'll go through a third book. Come on. I want to preach the whole Bible, y'all. I really do. Almost got the New Testament down. We're getting very close to the New Testament being down, uh, then the Old Testament comes. And how many know there's going to be some tough messages in that, in that series? Leviticus. But uh, I've seen pastors do it before, and God showed up and did what he does. He affirms his word and confirms it. Amen? Somebody say, work the word, and it will work for you. Thank you. But today is going to be a very encouraging message, especially for those of you who want to do great things in the ministry. How many of you have a calling on your life? Everybody's hands should be up. If their hand's not up, pray for them, witness to them, get them saved today. Amen. Seriously, everybody has a calling on their life. Everybody here is a called individual by God. Now, whether or not you pick up the phone and answer that call is now up to you, but you are called by God. No one here is supposed to live an ordinary life. Every single one of us has a call of an extraordinary life on us. You are not just supposed to fit in. You're supposed to get in and change the world to have them be like Jesus. Amen? We're not just supposed to be like everybody else. We are to set an example and to change the world. Think about three people right now that you could change by God's grace by giving them something from the Word of God. Not you doing the changing. You get my point here, but you're bringing about the change. Think of three people right now. Just put them in your heart right now. I'm thinking about people I hang out with wakeboarding. I'm thinking about my Indian neighbors, okay? I'm thinking about the woman that cuts my hair that comes from a Catholic background. Now imagine right now if they were serving Jesus like you are. Imagine three people that don't know Jesus right now serving the Lord like you are. Imagine how that would change the world. Wouldn't that be extraordinary? I mean, wouldn't that be amazing if you came here next week and my neighbor Shaw from India, who is a Hindu who worships idols, was sitting here with his entire family? Don't you think that would change a whole lot about his world? I remember him inviting me to his uh, daughter's wedding in the house because they go through different phases, I guess, of a wedding celebration. They do something in the house. They do something over there at the temple. They do something at a banquet. It's like a week-long affair. And so he invited me over to his house. The whole place was packed. I don't think any of them knew Jesus. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be extraordinary. That would be a miracle if Shaw gave his heart to Jesus. And I could go through each one that's in my life right now. Come on, think of three people right now that don't know Jesus. If you were to give them the gospel, they were to receive it. They were to become a Christian. Something extraordinary would happen. 
I'm thinking about those I go wakeboarding with right now. Some of them never been brought up in church, never gone to a church like this. They're involved in a counterculture. Some of them smoke weed. Some of them are out partying all the time. They're probably just getting up right about now. How many know somebody similar to that? Maybe they're not a wakeboarder, but how many know some partiers? But how many know if that wakeboarder gave his heart to Jesus, he would never be the same again. His family would never be the same again. He would go to those friends and begin to preach to them. And some of them have not even thought about God since they probably were baptized as a kid or went to church one time for a wedding. We all have callings on our life. The people that you're going to reach, God has set up for you to be there. Some may say it's a setup, a Holy Ghost setup. You're getting set up by the Holy Ghost. Some of y'all think that job is an accident. No, that's a Holy Ghost setup. That person that gets on your nerves, that's your next project in Jesus' name. Come on, some of you wondering why you're in Chicago. It's a setup. You're supposed to be here. God has a plan. It's a setup. God sets us up all the time. And I'll tell you what, you got a choice, though, to be obedient or to be disobedient. Paul said, woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel. Paul said, I'm compelled to preach the gospel. I just can't pretend I don't have a call on my life. I want to be real honest with you. Some of you are backsliders, and you're going to pay the price for it. You're in this church, and I love you, but you're a backslider. You're not right with God. And you know what? I can identify with you. I was a backslider. I didn't always do what was right, and I was a church kid, and I knew I was supposed to do what was right. But you know what? I got regrets from those times. God has forgiven me, but you know some of my friends have already died, and I didn't get a chance to preach to them. But I knew better. So listen to me, backslider. You may think to yourself, you got time to come back. That's not even promised to you. You could die and go to hell. Imagine that. You've been a part of deliverances. You've seen demons cast out. And you say to Jesus on judgment day, didn't I see demons cast out? But he says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Could you imagine that? Imagine if you saw somebody you prayed for, backslider, and they even got healed. But on that day of judgment, he says, depart from me. Backslider, you better slide on back right now in Jesus' name. Come on, slide back to Jesus because you know what some of my biggest regrets are? is when I was a backslider, not only was I living for the devil, getting eternal scars that still to this day I have to fight as temptations, but I lost opportunities to win souls with the people that I was around that God was setting me up with. I think about some of the people I did drugs with. And those people were supposed to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ from me. I knew better. I knew the answer to the problems that they were facing. But because I was being a fool, I I gave them drugs. Do you know how much I regret that? Do you know how much I wish I could go back in time and preach to that young man I got high with at the tennis court or that girl that I took advantage of in the back of a car? Are you guys listening to me? I mean, I was a sinner. Anybody else here was a sinner before they got saved? And I'm telling you what, backsliders, not only are you ruining your life, you're ruining other people's lives. Some may say I'm called. You know, God put a call in on our lives the moment we were born. We talk about this in the pro-life abolition movement. We are pro-life and against abortion. We want to see it abolished, just like slavery. We want to see every human being have the right to life and be treated with equality. Amen? And you know what? One of the verses that we, knew, we use is in Jeremiah where God speaks to the prophet. And he said, I knew you before you were even your mother's womb. I set you apart. I gave you a calling. You're not here by accident. You and I have callings on our life. And we need to take those callings serious. But if I was to be honest, most of you aren't backsliders. You're good Christians. You came to church on Sunday. I know my congregation. I can see across this room most of you all love Jesus. How many love Jesus? How many of y'all ain't backsliders? You serving the Lord. Amen? You're living right. You're living holy. But guess what? You know what the real challenge is? 
is getting discouraged in ministry, fulfilling your calling. And that's what I can relate to even more because I've been a Christian longer than anything in my life. I gave my heart to Jesus at 18, and now I'm more than double that. Double that would be 36. Now I'm 45. I've been serving Jesus longer than I didn't serve Jesus. Can I hear an amen for that? How many are waiting to when you can say that? That's going to be exciting. Amen. I used to hear preachers say that and other Christians say that, and I said, man, I can't wait for that. I've been living for Jesus longer than I live for the devil. And so now I want to encourage you with this because in all of these years I've been serving God over 20 years, my greatest uh, temptation to get out of the ministry or to stop preaching to those friends that I mentioned before or to fulfill my call, it hasn't been sin. It's been discouragement. It's been that feeling that I'm not good enough. It's that feeling that maybe God made a mistake and that it was meant for somebody else to do that thing. Maybe I, I'm not the right friend to reach out to that person. Maybe I'm not the right pastor for Chicago. Do you know that I felt that before? Come on, somebody go, oh, Dito. Yes, I felt that before. Somebody can say, oh, baby, you're all right. You're a good pastor. No, but seriously, I felt that before. First of all, look around this congregation. Not many of you look like me. You all get that? People call me out all the time. White boy, what you doing here? I'm serious. People say, what you doing, Pastor, and all these people of color with your white privilege? You don't deserve that privilege. I'm telling you the truth. Did you know you had a white pastor? I know I get tan in the sun. I'm trying to catch up with my people, y'all, but let's be honest. I'm a white boy from the suburbs, and I am a little embarrassed right now pointing it out. But I remember starting this church, and people were telling me, you can't reach the African-American community. We already got black pastors. We don't need you here. Get out of our neighborhood. I was chased out of neighborhoods. Are you listening to me? I said, are you listening to me? I know you don't think that racism works the other way, but trust me, I've been racist against, okay? I know the world want to tell you it only comes when they have power. No, you can be having power without having governmental power and scare this white boy. I've been scared in Hispanic neighborhoods. Are you listening? Y'all get thinking, sister, you from Africa. You can, you can keep shouting me down as much as you want. My wife will tell you. So I, I preached a little bit in the South. And I used to live in New Orleans, and I was like, man, if you're driving slow in the neighborhood looking for a house or you're in a new neighborhood, you better wave at people on the porch. That's how you do it. That's that's, that's the African-American way in the South. Are you listening? Well, I was in a Latino neighborhood. Everybody say, Latino. I was in a Latino neighborhood, and I thought I could get away with that same thing, driving slow. Am I not telling the truth? Going to an Armana's house, and I waved at some Hispanic young people. Some Hispanic young people, I waved at them like this. Hey, what's up? And I waved at them. Did you think they waved back at me, sister? They did some sign language and started coming towards the car. My wife's a witness. What you doing here, white boy? We got you. We got something for you. I'm telling you. Telling you the truth. Now you might say, well, Pastor, that's not that big of a deal. Well, it was a big deal for me when I felt like I couldn't pastor Hispanics. I couldn't pastor African Americans. Everybody say it's the white man's fault. That's what they tell you. It's the white man's fault. Man, how can he be your pastor? White ain't right. Come on, somebody. But I had to decide to be a pastor to whoever would come and show up. I preach to the white, black, pink, purple. I preach to them if they come show up here. Amen. And I want more of my people to come here, amen? But you know what? A lot of them don't humble themselves right now. They don't want to hear what the gospel says. So I'll receive it from anybody that will humble themselves. Because Jesus said, who is my mother? Who is my brother? It's those who do the will of God, amen? I got to be honest with you. My people are God's people. And I've been discouraged by that before. Man, why don't I go to the suburbs? Why don't I start a church in Schaumburg? How many know I would probably fit in there? 
Nobody would have any problem with me there until they heard me preach. They'd be like, yeah, you belong there. Other times people who know me, they're like, yeah, you belong in Malibu, man. You belong out there in Malibu, pastor. Why are you here on the west side? Would you put up some pictures, brother, from the west side outreach last uh, yesterday? We went to the west side yesterday by God's grace, preached at the abortion clinic, some of the brothers did, and also downtown at the Taste of Chicago. Can we give it up for what God's doing in this ministry? And he's sending people from around the country to work with us. Three places the block was hot last uh, yesterday. And I want you to see this right here because this is real. Most of you will not be discouraged by sin. Most of you, you're going to make a decision to live for Jesus. You're not going to get drunk anymore because you know what drunkenness does to you. You're not going to have anything to do with it. Most of you won't go to the trap house anymore. Most of you won't do drugs anymore. Most of you aren't going to go back to the gang. How many are done with your gang days? Come on. I'm just being honest. As your pastor, we're pretty good at recognizing who you are, just like you recognize real, real recognize real back at you. I understand that. You know, you're just, you're not going back to smoking weed. Most of you are not going to do that. Most of you are not going back to the LGBT, STD community. You've been to the clinic. You've been down that road. You're not going back. Amen. Can I hear an amen? Most of you, how many know you're not, how many know coming to this church, it's ruined you praying to the mother of Guadalupe. You ain't praying to her no more. Right? Most of you never going back to the Catholic mass. I mean, that, that's going to be your story. For the most part, I've been doing this over 20 years. Most of you understand now what heaven and hell is about. You understand what true doctrine is about. You understand what the Bible is about. And most of you are going to follow that path. But you know what is going to happen to many of you? Because this is what I see more than anything else. Many of you are going to stop doing this. You're going to stop. And it's going to break my heart. But more than that, it's going to break Jesus' heart. Come on, just pause on that picture of me holding that man's hand right there. The day I stop doing this is the day I stop being the real Christian God called me to be. Preaching out there on Pulaski and Madison, calling out to anybody who could hear the message. And this young man said he wanted Jesus. Amen. That right there is the joy of my soul. This other brother that has his hand on him, he was shouting me down while I was preaching. This sister right here came from across the street and started singing with me when I went to singing. By the way, when I get up there, you don't know what's going to happen. I went from preaching to singing to rapping to praying all in one time. Some of you try to get a live feed of one, but you couldn't catch me. I was going through with them so fast. Sing again, Pastor. No, I'm rapping. No, rap again. No, now I'm praying. You better keep up. And I want to be honest with you. Any pastor that doesn't do this out in the public is not a true pastor. They don't truly love the community. They only love what the community does for them. They're not giving. You have to give. You can't just receive. You see, right now I'm receiving amens. We're receiving tithes and offerings. I'm receiving honor and respect. But out there, I don't receive any of that. Now, now sometimes I do. You know, they're very kind. The, the community is. But I go out there to give. I don't need an amen. I don't need an offering. I'm going out there because that's what Jesus did. If Jesus left heaven to come to earth, I need to be able to leave this church and go out to that block and preach the gospel. Amen? And any pastor that calls himself a pastor that doesn't do that needs to be rebuked, put back in order, or get out the pulpit and hand it to somebody who will do it. That's the truth. Because if you, do, if you can read this Bible and still not get out of this Bible, you belong in the community, you're following a different Jesus. Where was Jesus on the streets? Where was he at at the marketplace? Where was he at giving out the fish? Come on, somebody. How many would go to Jesus' fish fry? I just want us all to see this right here. 
I love as Glenn Bedonsky used to say, I'm just a nobody telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody. Amen? That's who Jesus is. That's what he does for us. He puts a calling on our life. Now, I just want to be very real with you. I want to be transparent with you. That is not easy for me to do that. You might say, Pastor, you're passionate. You're, you're an outgoing person. That, that should be easy. Why, why is that not easy? You know why? It's because I don't like rejection. I don't like standing up there for everybody to see me, to reject me. You think I get over rejection easier than you? That's not true. As a matter of fact, most pastors deal with more insecurity than the average person. Because we have more people leave us, we have more people talk about us, we have more people reject us, that you want to talk about a trigger, being up there on a stage and just watching one person mock me could trigger me to every hurt I've ever had in the church. Bring up every person that's ever hurt me. Do you know that I've had to fight in my heart before not liking somebody to to get over not liking them because they looked like somebody who used to go to the church that caused a mess? My wife could tell you, I've literally had to say to her, I need to get over this because when I see this person, they remind me of that person. It gets quiet when the preacher talks like this, amen? But it's tight, but it's right. I'm, on, I'm under the bright lights right now. You can reject me. You can say all that you want about me. I'm a public figure. You could even legally record me and mock me and put me online as they've done right now. And I can't ask you to stop. I'm a public figure. So you, you say, it's easy. No, it's not. I don't want to be rejected. I would rather do another conference. I would rather go preach at my friends' churches where they're going to applaud Dr. Bishop Apostle Joseph Y. Rostick, an author of 20 books, is in the house today. Give it up for him. I would rather hear that than to hear what some of the people out there tell me. It's not easy for me. I'm a human. Jesus came as a human. He suffered just like us. When they whooped Jesus, you think it felt any different if you get whooped? No, he felt it just like us. And a pastor is just like you. I feel it just like you. And I can tell you, I know why some of you don't want to go out anymore. Because you have to restructure your day. You have to take off a day. You have to go out there and be rejected. You have to serve people. That's why they say sometimes church people are the worst in restaurants. You know why? Because we did all the serving here. Now we want to be served over there. And we're upset that that, that the person at Red Lobster didn't do us right. Because we were the greeter all day here. Think about it. Church people going over there causing a mess. But here you were like, how may I sit you, brother or sister? The children's ministry is right here to your left. The drinking fountain is right here. And then we go over here and we start snapping and clapping back at everybody. We should be servants of all. We should see the community as our church. This is our congregation. We already got more than 100,000 in that way. Amen. We got 8 million. But we're believing that 100,000 become disciples. Are you with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 3? Somebody say, I'm competent in God. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to help you get competent today and give some encouragement. Uh, Brother TJ, would you grab my book, Discipleship-Based Churches, please? I want to share some things out of there as well today. Thank you. Are we, Paul speaking here, starting in verse 1, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts. Thank you, brother. Known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter or an epistle from Christ. The result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Some may say the Spirit of the living God. Thank you. Not on the tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. Amen. I want to just pause here for a moment. Just go up a little bit so they can see the whole context, please. Paul is talking to this precious church. Thank you. And he is pointing out to them 
that they are the five-star review of his ministry. He is saying to them, I don't need another review from somebody out over there. You are the five-star review. You are the letter of recommendation. You are my letter of approval because what God has done in your hearts by the spirit of the living God. Paul pointed out that there were people in his life that he had spent time with that the Holy Spirit was able to use his life and his ministry as ink upon their hearts and to write love letters of how precious they were and how important they were. And Paul says, that's the joy of my life, your love letter to God, the ministry that I've been able to write about God in your life. Can I hear an amen? You see, Paul understood the importance of what role people play in our ministry and in our calling. We just can't look at them as just people that are just happening to be there. If you'd go back to that illustration of me shaking that man's hand and then a picture after that, please. Yes, this right here. I can't look at this man as an accident. I can't look at him as somebody who's less important than you because he doesn't give to the tithes and offerings. I can't look at him as somebody that's not as important because maybe he doesn't have as much Bible education as some of you do. He is the epistle that God is writing in that moment by the Spirit into his heart. And guess what? Not only does it touch his heart, it touches my heart. It touches my heart. When I'm ministering to that man, speaking the words of life, you can hear the words coming forth, but we can't see what the Spirit of God is doing. The Spirit of God is taking those words and writing upon his heart the plan that God has for him. And I think about each one of you now how I first met you or came into relationship with you and you are just as important to me and how dare I now get discouraged and stop writing the love letter of Jesus on your heart because of some trial, because of some test. You know, it's, it's just the life of a pastor and we can't take it personal. If it, you know, if every pastor quit when people didn't like him, there would be no more pastors left. And if you're a greeter or an usher and they don't treat you right, listen to me, if every greeter or usher left when they didn't like them, there would be no more greeters or ushers. And if every children's worker left working with the children when they felt they weren't appreciated, there would be no more children's workers. And if every person opening up their home to a home Bible study left every time they felt offended or their house wasn't treated right, there would be no more home Bible studies. And if every evangelist quit preaching, when someone said they didn't want them to be preaching, there would be no more evangelists. But I thank God that there are greeters, that there are evangelists, that there are pastors, that there are Sunday school teachers, that there are disciples not only here in this church, but in churches around the world that are writing the letters of God by the Spirit on people's hearts, that lives are being changed. And I look back at the the letters that have been written on my heart by the leaders that have, some have gone on home to be with the Lord and some who are alive now and in places like Alaska. Remember Brother Anthony, we went out with, with him in Crawfish. He's ministering in Alaska. But my brother's love for me and for God is being written on my heart. 
It's a precious love letter between me and God. Paul said he understood that. He was talking to these people about that. Now go back to verse 4 of that passage. Notice what he says to them. Such confidence. So he's confident that God is using him. Can you all see he's confident of that? He's, no, he knows he's not just wasting his time in the ministry. He goes, such confidence we have through Christ before God. Now here it is, verse 5. Highlight this, please. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our confidence or competence comes from God. Where does it come from? comes from God. Our competence comes from God. Hallelujah. He has made us competent, qualified, adequate, Holy Ghost filled ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Somebody say my competence comes from God. You got to believe that today. Otherwise, you're going to give up on people. Please put that back up today. Please put that picture back up. Otherwise, you're going to give up on them. Well, I don't feel competent. Not after Black Lives Matter rioted and said, I was a colonizer. Do you know that after they rioted us, I felt ashamed to almost go into the black community? Because what are they going to say about me? Are they going to accuse me of being a racist because I didn't support their Marxism? Little did they know I supported the justice of George Floyd. I put it out before they came against us in a Christian business. I've been in the black community before it was trendy, sister. I'm talking about in the 90s, in the third world, uh, the third, third world, in the third ward projects, in the Calio Malfamine. When that first time I came to Chicago and worked as a youth pastor, you can ask my wife. She was at that time my administrator. I fell in love with my secretary, if you didn't know by, 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 by how that got together. But we were both single, by the way, if you know how that happened. Where was the first place I said we're taking this church, youth group that has been around for 100 years? Where did I say we were taking that church? To Cabrini Green. I said, that's the first place we're going. We're going to Cabrini Green. I'm not saying I'm the great white hope. I'm not saying it has anything to do with my privilege. I just knew that God called me to go. And I had to go where he said go. That's why I started preaching to all the different cultures. And that's why you look here, you see a beautiful rainbow of God's amazing grace and humanity. But I'm being honest with you right now. I haven't always felt qualified. I haven't always felt like I could communicate, that I could understand you go into the Calio Projects and you come from where I come from, Fort Wayne, Indiana, a town of 300,000 people, mostly all white and suburb. Think of Rockford, you know. What am I going to do in Cabrini Green? What, what story am I going to tell? But you know what God said? God said, by his spirit, I am your confidence. I am your confidence. Through me, you can do all things. And so when I went to Cabrini Green, you know what I told him? I said, it's not about white or black, but a man who bled red for you, and he covered your sins, and he covered mine. And at the cross, you and I can meet there together. And it doesn't matter if you've come from three baby mamas, been locked up, don't know your daddy, or you've been doing drugs in a penthouse or on the corner. I know a Jesus who will set you free free. And guess what? He set a sinner like me free. 
because the rich pimp and then the prostitute and all of these people in between go to the same hell if they don't know Jesus. It's still pimping. It's still alcoholism. It's still drug addiction. It's still all corruption. And all sinners can relate to sin. And sinners go to the same hell. There will be no segregation in hell nor in heaven. And so I told them about a Jesus that saves sinners. And guess what? Sinners got saved. So some of you here today, like Brother TJ, come on up here. This is my spiritual son in the faith. Amen. He's my spiritual son. And we were talking out at, oh, we were talking at the west side yesterday, weren't we? And where are you working right now? Uh, by the hand. And tears started coming down my eyes because I see what he's doing with those young people. Tears started coming down my eyes. Some of you haven't seen me cry, but I do cry every now and then. Every now and then. And, and I was just in my heart, I was just so happy to see him doing that. But you know what I said to him? I said, TJ, you're not just regulated to go help the inner city where you came from. Brother, you can go to the colleges. You can go to the universities. You can go to the, to the places downtown and preach. Why? Because you've been qualified. You've been certified, amen, by the power of the Holy Ghost. Thank you, my brother. This brother's certified, amen? He's a certified preacher of the gospel. So if I can go to the hood, he can go to Michigan Avenue, praise God. And I thank God for that African-American preacher that's been there, what, over 30 years preaching the gospel. I call the people down there the white pant yoga cult. They're white, they wear yoga pants, and they're in a cult, and they think they know God, but they don't. The white people wearing them yoga pants, that African-American brother's been preaching to them there on Michigan Avenue. After all the years, he gets spit on, he gets mistreated, but he keeps preaching. Amen? Can I hear an amen if you believe it? We preach to all people. You can't let your competence be based on your story or your background. How could we go to Africa? Have you been to Africa? But we still send, we still send missionaries. When she came to America, she was certified to preach to every American here in the name of Jesus. She didn't have to go around and ask for permission from each community. She's got the certification of the Holy Ghost. Matthew chapter 28 says, go make disciples of all the nations. If you want to be a little sassy when they come and ask you if you got a permit to preach, say, I do. It's right here, Matthew 28. Go ye all into the world. Here I am. It's my permit. And also the city gives me permission. We are qualified by God. I know you look at me now and many of you say, well, pastor, you know, you've gone to school, Bible college, you've wrote all these books, you're so much smarter than me. I don't know if I could go to Wright College or, or if I could go to UIC. Where's Sister Jocelyn? Is she in this service or is she only in the first? Oh, she was in the first. Put up Sister Jocelyn preaching at UIC. God will use whoever is willing to go. He does not call the equipped, but he equips the called. I look at this sister preaching at a college university by herself, and the first thing that comes to my mind is, oh, how intimidating that must be for her. She's a woman. She's by herself. She's at a college campus. What if somebody put her on blast about evolution or, or some tricky question from the Bible? Who, where did Cain get his wife? You know, some question like that. But you know what the Lord told me? The Lord told me where she is, I'm with her. And where I am, I have all wisdom and knowledge and all power and authority. Just keep praying that she's used by me. So I don't have to sit back as a papa wondering what's going to happen to our dear sister. Her papa father is the one watching over her, keeping care of her. 
That's her preaching there at UIC. Can we give it up for this sister right here preaching on her own? Go ahead and push play. Have it in the background. She's a great illustration for us right now. See, God calls those he knows will go. Some of you aren't getting called anymore because you haven't listened to the first calling. You see, God doesn't repeat himself when you're in rebellion. And so you need to get on God's plan and join the journey of ministry. You are a missionary in this world. I used to go to churches where missionaries dressed up in all white, looked like nurses, but never talked to anybody about Jesus, but they were called a missionary. If you've ever been around some of those churches, listen to me. You're not called to be like that. You're not called just to have a title, just to be an usher or a greeter. You're called to go out here and make a difference. Did you not just hear what we read today in the scriptures? Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where the moths can come and the vermin can come, the rats can come. Store up for your treasures in heaven. She's making wins for the kingdom of God right here. Bill Gates is going to be cleaning her, her floors in her mansion. Elon Musk is going to be driving her around, Miss Jocelyn. Elon Musk is going to put her in one of his cars and drive her around. The Bible says the wicked will serve the righteous in the kingdom to come. And we'll be good to them. Amen. No mistreating of them here. But the Bible says they will be our servants in the kingdom of God. She is storing up treasures in heaven. These are our heroes. The ones who led you to the Lord. The ones who prayed for you. Come on. As I asked you to think about three you can make a difference in. Now think about three people who made a difference in your life. My mother led me to the Lord at her kitchen table. I thank God that my mom knew how to pray. Uh, I thank God that my mom knew how to read the Bible. My mom would get alone in her prayer closet. Listen to me, sisters, if you have any lost children in here. My mom would get alone in her prayer closet and write down things in a prayer journal that I'm still experiencing today. She would do that while I was a backslider. She did that while I was on drugs. She was doing that when she was having to call the police on me. God was giving her prophetic words. I thank God for people like my mom. I thank, I thank God for people like Donald who discipled me from the nursing home. I thank God for the people that I've met along the way, the sisters that I can't even remember their names. They would come up to me in church services, old school, hands shaking, saying, I got a word for you, young man. God is calling you. I feel the Holy Ghost. Even though I'm imitating, I still feel the Holy Ghost. So they, they would say, I got a word for you, young man. God's going to make you a Peter. I remember these praying sisters in the church and the difference they made in my life. Think of three people that have changed your world for God. I remember seeing in prayer meetings here, your lives be changed. Deliverance. Some of y'all didn't look as cute as you do now. Some of y'all, we saw you foaming at the mouth. We saw you falling down. We saw you weeping, someone having to put a tissue in there in your hand because you were snotting all over yourself. But now look at you. Aren't you glad you came to a church with an altar call where there was the power of the Holy Ghost and where people could pray for you, lay hands on you, tarry with you for 15 minutes so that they could see you delivered? They weren't so concerned about the cafe. They weren't so concerned about whether or not you were giving big offerings. They prayed with you. They ministered to you. Some of you came to our church because somebody preached to you like this. Somebody went out their way to go reach you. That's why, listen, I'm not jealous when people go to other churches, but listen to what I got to say to them. If that church loved you so much, why didn't they go win you to the Lord? Many of these churches that our people go to, they don't even go out street witnessing, doing street ministry. They would have let you go to hell. 
I would rather be discipled by TJ than to be discipled by somebody with some big name and some big book that they sell, number one bestseller, that they don't care enough to reach me on the streets. Where were you when I was a sinner? Where were you when I was on my way to the club? Leonard Ravenhill tells the story about an Anglican priest trying to lead a man who's sentenced to death to the Lord at the last minute, reading him his last rites. Leonard Ravenhill says that as this Anglican priest was just going through the motions, the sinner looked back at the priest and said, do you really think I would go to hell if I don't repent now? And the Anglican priest said, yes, that's what our church teaches. And he said, I don't believe you. He said, if I believed there was such a thing called hell like you talk about, I would crawl on my knees all across England, across broken glass, just to save one soul from going there. You don't believe it, mister. How many believe there's a real hell? Then go out there and preach. If pastors really believed it, they would get, behind, they would get away from their pristine pulpits back out to the streets to the nitty-gritty and get their hands dirty. Put that back up on the west side, please. You know what? We touch everybody out there. Go back there. Show the line right there. The things that I saw out there yesterday, it's getting worse. you got to flip through those pictures. I saw people on fentanyl bent over. People bent over like this, couldn't even stand up. Who was out there yesterday? Am I telling the truth? Look at this. They can't even, they can't even straighten up their back. But we touch every one of them. We touch every one of them, grab them by the hand and shake their hands and say, you are special. We are praying prayers of deliverance. We're praying prayers of salvation. Don't tell me you love people, but you're not willing to touch them, to get out there for them. You only take their ticket at the door and they pay $50 to come to the next worship conference. You only take them when they're clean. Show us a few more pictures of the line out there. You only take them when they know how to honor you and respect you. No, the Bible says that's what sinners do. The sinners feed their own. The sinners give barbecues for their own friends. The sinners bring over their people that they know. But he said, when you go out, you go out to the highways. You go out to the byways. Let's give it up for those who came out yesterday. (laughs) Hallelujah. Let's keep going. I want to give you some things to think about. Put up that slide for me, please. I didn't come up with this. I just made it on my own sitting in the back there because I wanted to show you all the ones that I could come up with. If God can use them, God can use you. Eve was deceived. Adam brought a curse to humanity. Noah got drunk and naked. Abraham lied to people and doubted God. Isaac lied to people and was easily tricked. He was gullible. Jacob stole the birthright. Moses was a murderer. Rahab was a prostitute. Gideon was a cowardly nobody. You should say amen at some point because you know some of you already relating. Come on. Samson was a gambling womanizer. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah wanted to quit ministry and die. Just let me die now, God. I'm afraid of Jezebel. Jeremiah felt deceived by God. Jonah was a racist. I don't want to go to those Ninevites. Israel as an entire nation backslid. Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, wasn't able to speak for nine months because he doubted what an angel said. Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, was a crooked tax collector. James and John got mad at the unbelievers of a town, wanted to set the whole place on fire. Mary was a prostitute, had demons cast out of her. James and Jude, the half-brothers of Jesus, which we preached about in the first service, mocked and ridiculed their half-brother Jesus. Peter denied Jesus three times and went back to fishing. Jesus had to find him out there on a boat. Thomas died. 
doubted God after everybody believed him. He said, I won't believe unless I touch him. And Paul persecuted Christians, even seeing Stephen killed right in front of him. Listen to me, saints. If God can make them competent, God can make you competent. If God can give them a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth chance, God can do it for you. If God can use this person right up here, God can use you. Hallelujah. There is nothing affirmed in that behavior. There's nothing good about that behavior. But God can use even that which we have done as evil and turn it for good. He can make all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Right now, what is your mess can become your message. What has become your test can be your testimony. Well, pastor, I I quit coming to this church. Now I'm coming back. That's your testimony. Talk about what you learned out there and now be radical for Jesus. Well, pastor, I used to come to this church when I was a teenager. Now I'm coming back as an adult. Let that be your testimony. Tell these young people not to go back out there in the world. I see some people nodding their heads. Say amen. Come on if you believe it. Others of you here, you know what you've gone through. You know what your life has been like without God. You know even as a Christian some of the mistakes that you've made. Don't give up on the call that God has for you. He says that he makes us competent. Come on, can I hear an amen? I just have to get us encouraged today. Because some of us are going to get discouraged in ministry and want to give up. And then we're going to say, well, you know what? Pastor can't relate. But you don't know what I can relate to. And let me just say this. Even if it's not the exact same thing you're going through, it's something that was enough to break me. I love what one professor did. It was in a classroom. They now have it up as a little video. He said, I want somebody to stand up and hold up a glass of water like this. You know, and they just filled it up just a little bit. And then another person, they filled it up a lot of bit. And then another one had it less. So you got all these different people with different things of water holding them up. And he said to them, what difference does it make how much water is in there? At some point, everybody's going to get tired. How many know you're going to get tired holding your arm up like this? Come on, church people. Don't get quiet on me now. If I brought you to the gym, I'll get you tired very quick. How many know just, you know, squatting just your body weight? You get tired. Just holding your arm up, you can get tired. So you you are right. There are some people in life that may carry more. That's absolutely right. I, I don't know what you're carrying right now in your life. I don't know your troubles. I don't know how full that cup is of trouble in your life that you're carrying. It may be more than me. It may be less than me. I don't know. How many know people jump out of high rises and people throw themselves in front of trains? Come on, I had a friend throw himself in front of a train. I had another uh, person attempt suicide. You don't know all that they're going through. Some people just find a train, this is it. Other people, they're rich and they have the money and they they drop themselves out of a high rise. Suicide is suicide. Depression is depression. Anxiety is anxiety. How many have felt it before? How many have felt anxiety before? How many have felt depression before? How many have dealt with low self-esteem before? How many have felt like giving up on something that God told you to do before? It applies to everybody, does it not? And so I want to encourage you today because this is what I wrote in a book many years ago. And this is what I said here. I'm tired of hearing half the story. In other words, I was tired of hearing all these pastors tell me about all their great wins, but nobody's telling me about their losses. Everybody's telling me about the building they got, but not the five they lost. Everybody's telling me now about the churches and the, you know, the members and the campuses that they got, but they don't tell me about how they lost their children to cancer. 
one of my favorite preachers right now lost his child to cancer and hardly ever talks about it. And he wants to tell everybody to believe God for faith for miracles. And I believe that. But I think he owes it to people whenever he talks about faith for miracles. Every now and then, he needs to talk about how he lost his own child. Can I just keep it real with you? Because then otherwise, you're only telling people half the story. It would be real easy to come up every time. God heals everybody all the time. Just have faith and believe. And then, you know, just get people all hyped up. Buy your book, your holy water, the next tickets to the conference. But then here, you're the one that lost your child. I'm not saying that's a hypocrite. I'm just saying, man, you got to be real with people. Also, people talking about, you know, you know, we're believing for prosperity. We're believing for this. And they tell you a story, but they don't tell you all that happened behind that story. In that story, there was a lot of gory. Are you listening? In that story was a lot of gore. You followed their journeys and what they went through. So I wrote about this. I was tired of hearing half the story. So you know what I did? I took some statistics that were out there just of pastors. Now, you know if the head is sick, the Bible says the body's sick. So I took some statistics and I put it in here to encourage pastors because most pastors, if you don't quit, you, you, you winning. You already at the top of the percentage pile if you just don't quit. But yet so many pastors, they go to these conferences and they don't see the results and then they quit and they don't understand 90% of other people aren't seeing what those people are seeing anyway. Mega churches aren't the normal churches. Churches like this are the normal churches, mid-sized churches between 50 to 100. And we got more than that. But I'm telling you, I felt like quitting all along the journey. And I've even had mega church pastors, uh, not that I knew, but a friend knew them, and commit suicide. So here's a pastor with a mega church, has a mega mess, commits suicide. I would rather be pastoring 300 people, still have my mind. Come on, can somebody say amen to that? Wouldn't you rather have your job right now and have your mind than to be, uh, you know, these movie stars and all these people that lose their minds? I mean, if you can have money and your mind, maybe you'd like to have that, amen? You'd like to have your money and your, but that's another discussion. But I'm just saying, if you had to choose right now from making the kind of money, you know, that these people make and then they lose their mind, would you rather have that or have what your job is, your family, your mind? I would rather have what God has for me, amen? 1,500 ministers drop out of ministry a month. In America, 1,500 ministers say, I'm done ministering. And I don't think most of them are in sin. I don't because I know many of them. Only 10% of ministers will make it to the age of 65. Only 10%. That means only one out of 10 pastors who started out as young men in the ministry or young women will make it to 65. That's a sad day, isn't it? 50% of ministers don't even make it five years. Most pastors don't even make it five years. How many know the devil's real? The devil's fighting against the church. How many know he's doing that? And I'm saying this to you because guess what? If you want to fulfill your call and you want to be a part of the ministry, you're going to go through the same kind of attacks. Even though sometimes I think the pastors get it worse, there's some truth to that, but I think you're going to get attacked just as much in a lot of ways. Your family's going to get attacked. Your finances are going to get attacked. The way people treat you on the job and look at you in the culture, you're going to be attacked. In this church, we've had people go to our leaders' pages uh, and try to find out what job they work at to go to that job and say, this, this person attends a church that preaches against homosexuality. That could happen to you in this church. Will you keep coming or drop out? Some may say, I'm here till I die. Not to say you got to be in Metro Praise, but how many are going to be in the church till you die? That's what I'm talking about. You don't have to be loyal to a man. Be loyal to the calling of the church and the ministry. Amen? 70% of pastors deal with depression. Statistically, 70%. Do you know that when we heard about Brian Houston and Hillsong and all of the mess that came out there, do you know that one of the problems was uh, that he admitted? He said, I was drinking alcohol while I was on anti-anxiety medication. And then that was his excuse for getting up in a woman's hotel room. 
Some may say the devil is a liar. Man, if I'm on anxiety medication, which, by the way, you can go to heaven on it, and God can help you through it. But listen, if I'm on anxiety medication, sit me down for a little bit. Would you help me? Amen. How many know i got to learn how to hear from the Holy Spirit? If I can't tell anxiety from reality, how am I going to be able to tell the Holy Spirit from anxiety? I'm not saying a pastor with anxiety is, is no good. I'm just saying you, you got to set them down. you got to help them. They let this show go on. No, we can't stop the show. Let it go on. So you got 70% of pastors saying, I deal with depression. Is it any wonder that Christians are dealing with depression? Now, statistically, Christians are happier than sinners. That's true. And we have better sex lives. Look that up. Christian sex lives. I'll encourage somebody here. It's better than the world. It gets quiet, I guess, when I preach like this to a bunch of young people. We got some older people here. Amen. 70% of pastors say they don't have a good friend. 50% of ministers said they would leave the ministry right now if they had a better job. 80% of pastors' wives say that they wish their pastor, uh, wish their husband would pass a pick a different job. Let me say that again. 80% of women like this, my, past, uh, my wife, who's a pastor's wife, 80% of women like Nancy wish that their husband would do something else. Just get out the ministry, sell cars, sell insurance, just be a blogger, dude, something else. But how many know she's happy? Are you happy, Nancy? Do you wish I would do something else? You're not lying, are you? Amen. 94%, 94% of children in the ministry wish their dad would do something else. Pastor kids don't like the ministry. 4,000 new churches are started every year, 7,000 close. You ever seen a church close? I have. I've seen churches close. I've seen all of this. 70% of pastors say they have lower self-esteem since being in the ministry. So since they started being in the ministry, 70% said, I started up here with self-esteem, but now I'm way down here. Is it any wonder so many overcompensate? Come on. You want to know why pastors look cocky, dress the way they do, try to make their wives into Mrs. America, have you do three anniversary celebrations for them, one birthday once a month? You want to know why they're doing all that? Because most of them are dealing with low self-esteem. Now, some of them just like to look nice and have celebrations, I guess, but I'll be honest with you. Some of the ones that, I do, those things, that do those things the most, they dress up the most, they celebrate the most, they need every pastor appreciation, all this. They're, they're dealing with low self-esteem. That's what I've seen. 3,500 people, listen to this, stop going to church a day in the U.S. We started off as a country mostly Christian. Now we're getting to barely Christian. People are dropping out of the church left and right. And this is not just for me as a pastor. This is for you too because you're going to start a Bible study, right? And then after a certain amount of time, your kids might want you not to have that Bible study. And after a certain amount of time, your spouse may not want you to have that Bible study. And then people are going to say they're going to be a part of that Bible study, and then they're going to leave that Bible study. What are you going to do? See, Paul said, I found, I found my competence in God. Somebody say, my competence comes from God. I don't want to go on, but the book goes on and talks about it. I just want to tell you now my top seven setbacks. Here are mine. Can I, can I be honest with you real quick? I always say this is the opposite of the Catholic Church. Catholic Church, you go into a dark room, you tell him your secrets, right? Here, I'm in a bright room telling you my secrets. This is the real church, amen? Confessing to you. Here are seven setbacks. Dropout. Do you know that from the time I've started this church... To this day right here, I've had more people drop out of our discipleship than stay with it. Every step along the way, I've had people drop out. We were doing the 101, people would drop out. That means I would show up to see them. They wouldn't even keep their word. I would show up by myself. Other times I would be there, they would be checked out like as if I was wasting their time. That's how we started this church. Then I finally got some that were doing the right thing, but then later on they started doing the wrong thing, and they left and caused a mess. 
dropout. First started the 201 class with some uh, young people in the church. After I told them what we were going to do, read our Bibles, live holy, all of them dropped out. I had no more class. Come on, somebody say, help them, Jesus. This is what ministry is like. People are going to drop you too. You're going to say, I'm going to pick you up. You're going to show up there, honk the horn, give them a text, and they're going to act like they don't know you. But if you were going to the barbecue, they would be out there already. Come on, somebody. If they needed money from you, they would be picking up the phone quick. But now that you're bringing them to church, they're not going to want to be with you. And you're going to have the temptation to take it personal. But listen, your competence does not come from yourself. It comes from God. Some of you right now already battle with low self-esteem. And you're saying, Pastor, dear God, you want to make it worse? You want me to actually start helping others? Pastor, I'm coming here to get help. I'm telling you right now, you start doing for others what you want done for you, God's going to let go of what's in his hand and bless you. Let go of what's in your hand and watch God let go of what's in his hand. Learn to give right now and watch what God will do. Some of my moments of deepest and darkest depression were broken by going and serving other people. You know why? Because even in that rejection, I began to realize it's not about me, it's about God. And there was always somebody that was willing to receive him. There was always somebody that was willing to take my hand and pray with me. There was always somebody that was willing to take a track, and God began to break it off my life. You can talk to my wife. When we were going through all that stuff at the beginning, I would ride my bike to Belmont and Clark, one of the worst places to go preach the gospel. Nobody else wanted to hear it, but I said, God, send me somebody that wanted to hear it. And without fail, every single day, somebody would want to hear the gospel. Somebody say he's faithful. faithful. Yes, he is. Number two, lack of finances. I have experienced more lack of finances than I've had abundance. Sometimes we have people come to the church now and they say, how do you have hundreds of thousands of dollars in savings? Our last three years have been the greatest three years of our church. And they say, that doesn't make sense. It's because my God's not trying to fit his plan into your cantaloupe-sized brain. That's why. Stop thinking about it that way. Think about it God's way. We don't steal. We don't shake you down. We don't give you 10 different ways, uh, 10 times to give on on an offering. We just tell you our our giving plan because we want to bless you to be a blessing. And then people give. Sometimes people give a few dollars. Sometimes people give hundreds of thousands of dollars. Are you listening? But you know what? I've had less, more than I've had enough. My wife and I started off the church. We were the biggest givers, and she was working at the bank, and I wasn't working. So just imagine what that is, like $400 a month, $200, whatever it was a month, plus some offering in tithe and then offering, and yet God provided a way. I've had people tell me, I don't want to open up my home for Bible study. I can't bring somebody to church because I don't have gas. And they say, I can't afford to give. Listen to me, you can't afford not to give. Giving will give it back to you. You cannot outgive God. Put that person in the car, and if you run out of gas, you both push here, amen, and then we'll get you a gas card. I'm telling you, but take that step of faith. Some of you say, well, I can't open up my house. I don't have anything but saltine crackers and some mustard. Pull out that saltine crackers and mustards and watch what God will do. But don't say no to God's plan because there once was a story in the Bible about a little boy that had five loaves and two fishes. Come on, I still believe Sunday school stories. There was a story in the Bible where a boy said, this is all I got, but if God, you want to use it, you can. And thousands were fed. I would encourage anybody struggling with finances today to read the story by the missionary who is the leader of one of our missionaries, Heidi Baker. Tisa and Jean work with Heidi Baker, and the book's title is More Than Enough. More Than Enough. God will always make a need. Imagine going to Mozambique saying, I want to help orphans. The moment they showed up there, they had more orphans that they could help than what they had in the bank account. But the soup pot has never run dry. There's always been enough beds and clothes for every orphan that shows up in Mozambique. And he'll keep doing it, amen? He'll keep providing. Maybe some of the reason we don't see all the blessing coming is it's because it's for us four and no more. 
Maybe if we started giving it away, we would see more miracles. Amen? Another thing that came, and I'm going to go quickly here, is fatigue. I've been tired in ministry. Anybody ever been tired helping others? You get tired. You get tired of saying the same thing over and over and over and over again. Parents can relate to this fatigue. You ever been tired as a parent? Come on, parents, don't get intimidated now. Your teenage kid ain't going to kill you in their sleep. You can say amen. All parents of teenagers, say amen. Parents of teenagers, how many times you repeat yourself? How many times you feel like you're losing your mind? People ask me all the time, when are you going to write? I wrote 20 books by God's grace. They say, when are you going to write one on parenting? When they make it out alive and I keep my mind. That's what I'm writing that book, amen? When they all came out alive and I survived, that's what I'm writing it. Then I'll give some helpful hints. But right now, it's one day at a time with Jesus. I'm telling you, it's one day at a time with you. get tired. You love your kids. I'm just going to talk to parents, and I'm going to bring it into ministry. You love your children. You would do anything for them. But there is such thing as a last nerve, and you get tired, and you just can't hear it anymore, and you just got to let them know how you feel. Amen? And even if you got to repent afterwards, you still got to let it out. (laughs) Half kid. But you get tired in ministry. You get tired of talking to the same. Some of you do 101s in our church, and you started 101 with 20 people. Nobody's gotten past the third chapter yet. you got to do it again. you got to get out there and do it again. You don't give up. You don't get fatigued because somebody's going to be your next TJ. Somebody's going to be your next Joselito. Somebody's going to be your next Eddie Berto. Somebody's going to be your next precious sister here, Esther. You don't know when the next faithful one is coming. And parents with your children, you don't know when the breakthrough is coming. It could come at 12. It could come at 13. It could come at 4. It could come at 45. But don't go, the Bible says don't go weary in doing good for in, in season. If you do not faint, you'll reap a harvest. Amen? A broken heart. Somebody say a broken heart. Your heart will be broken as you serve people. Do you know that 2 Corinthians comes after 1 Corinthians? How many do math in church? 2 Corinthians came after what? 1 Corinthians, have you read it lately? A man was sleeping with his stepmom, and the church was letting it go on. People were getting drunk off the communion wine. That's what was going on in that church. They had people fighting, full-on fighting with each other about whether or not one was with Paul, one was with Peter. Oh, I just follow Jesus. I don't follow a man. And they were divided in their church. So when Paul gets to 2 Corinthians, don't you think he knows a thing or two about heartbreak? Don't you think it broke his heart to watch his disciples doing what they were doing, fighting and arguing with each other? Man, don't you understand? You all have been saved. Why are you fighting with each other? Why are you getting drunk off wine? God set you free from that. Why is this man sleeping with his stepmom? That is gross. What is wrong with you? It broke his heart in a million pieces. But Jesus says he's the healer of the broken heart. I always encourage people with this as you fulfill your call in life. Give yourself a 24-hour funeral because weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. I don't care what they've said about you. I don't care how bad they hurt you. I don't care how far you go back. You might have been there when they didn't have shoes to wear to church and you lent them shoes. They might not have had a ride to church, but you brought them to church. You might have been pastoring their kids, bringing them everywhere, and then they turned their back on you, told everybody on Facebook about you, and called you everything but a saint. I want you to weep. I want you to dry your eyes in the morning you wake up. I want you to shout and say every day is a good day with Jesus. Is that all you got, devil? Because I'm coming for more in Jesus' name. Amen? Don't let a broken heart take you out of the ministry. 
I meet pastors all the time with broken hearts. I see it in their eyes. They've lost their heart for the people. They've lost their heart for the community. All they see now is just people that hurt them all the time. And they talk bad about them, and they get mad at them, and then they start to abuse them. And pastors think that that's okay, and then it trickles on down to the people. And then you wonder why you go to these churches, and they don't do outreaches anymore, and they don't have things in the community. It's because they're brokenhearted. Most of them aren't in sin. Most of them aren't out there cheating on each other. I mean, some of them are. There are some messes in churches. But these kind of churches that I'm talking about, they're just brokenhearted. They're a shell of what they used to be. You look at the pastor. he got bags under his eyes. He doesn't know how to pray and rest in the spirit anymore. He's trying to do it all by the works of the flesh. And his heart's been broken. And he doesn't know how to love and weep for the lost anymore. He only wants to cry for himself. And listen, we can cry for ourselves. And you might get hurt. And that's true. But you got to wake up in the morning and find your joy in the Lord. The Bible says, for the joy set before him he endured the cross if Jesus can endure the cross you can endure the calling you have on your life amen slow growth some of you here have calls on your life and you've experimented with it you went out and did evangelism you went out and started a life group or a bible study on your job but it didn't grow fast enough for you and you got discouraged that's okay how many did Jesus have he only had 12 minus Judas how many you got now 11 and some women in the upper room 120 how many did he feed thousands how many came to the barbecue thousands but how many would pray and wait only just a few this is our Jesus don't get discouraged I'm still here in a storefront I'm still here amen they may make fun of me. They might say I should have a bigger church by now. They might say that my preaching's not good enough. They might say they're leaving to go to this church because their children's room looks like Disney World. But I can say one thing that they can't say about me. I am still here by God's grace. I haven't quit. The calling is still going forth from 5405 West Diversity. And if I have to preach here till I die, just bury my heart under here and say at least he gave his life for something that mattered. Amen. Don't give up. Open up your home again. You don't have to be naive, but I'm saying open up your home again. Go out to do Bible study again. Take out that new worker to coffee again. Five workers on the job might have let you down and took advantage of you. But now the new one came. That's your new coworker. Take him out for coffee again. You've been out to the west side. They've cussed you out. Go back out to the west side. Somebody's going to give you a hug one day. You keep going until you find the reason why you're there. Amen? You don't let... People take you out of the plan that God has for you, even if it grows slow. Were you worth it? Yes or no? Were you worth me staying? Because I could have gave up. Were you worth it? This, you know, you could have gone to another church and I could have gone somewhere else, right? But you came here today. I'm honored that you're here today. I'm glad I didn't give up. I'm glad I got to meet you. I'm glad I got to see your family. And I want to see you continue to call, uh, to, to call this your church and to fulfill your calling. Amen. Lack of outside encouragement. How many know you can be discouraged and want encouragement, but nobody be there for you? I've been in ministry wanting encouragement, but I've received discouragement. I remember when I first started this church, it wasn't going very well. I was questioning what I should do. I knew there was a pastor in town of a denomination that I respected, so I called up that pastor. I didn't know him, but I knew of him that he was a good man, and I told him all of my problems while we were out to eat, and I wanted to bless him with a meal, to bless the pastor with a meal, and I told him all about my problems, and some of you have heard this story before. You know what his solution to all my problems was as a new pastor? Quit the ministry. I don't think you're called. I was told that. 
Now, I don't know what he understands about calling, but I love Jesus, and I know that I'm called. But this man only knew me at one lunch and thought he knew me enough to say, this is the problem. You're not called in the ministry. And that may even happen in this church. And let us know because we'll correct that. But I've seen discouragement happen even in good churches. And sometimes people, listen, sometimes people will leave this church based on somebody's discouragement that we didn't even certify and we can't even make it right. And they're leaving based on somebody's discouragement. Would you please not do that? I said, would you please not do that? Can we put a stop to that right here? Don't leave this church where my wife and I and the leaders have given our lives to serve you over somebody here messing that up. I want you to come back. I want you to work it through. But pastors, we go through that all the time. And even in your Bible study, you'll go through that. You'll wonder, hey, where's sister so-and-so? And then you'll find out another sister in your Bible study discouraged that sister, and then now she's gone. And now you got to try to clean the mess. And you know what sometimes they'll say? Well, why would you even let that person in your Bible study? And sometimes you just have to say, listen, stupid is as stupid does. Christians are going to act like sinners sometimes. What do you want me to do? Give them a, 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 a scan before they come in to make sure they're all right? Can you at least talk to me before you go? No, I'm offended now. And, it, you know, I, I know you like her and you're probably going to take her side. Well, how, who, how do you even know I'm going to take her side? You know, people will get so offended and never come back. And you'll be sitting here going, I just wanted encouragement. I just wanted to be encouraged. Listen to me. Somebody in this church wants to encourage you. If you're not being encouraged today, I'm going to have prayer workers stand up here in just a few moments. Can they encourage you? Amen. And then lastly, somebody say crazy people. <laughs> Come on. Somebody say crazy people. Look at your neighbor and say, not people like you. It's the ones who didn't come Sunday. It's the ones who didn't come today. It's these empty chair crazy people. Of course none of you are crazy. Band and altar workers, would you come please? Listen, crazy people will have you spinning in your mind trying to figure out their craziness. You cannot fix stupid. You cannot untangle crazy. All you can do is pray for them and give them the gift of goodbye. Goofy people will not make sense. How many know goofy people don't make sense? And that's why you just got to leave them alone sometimes. Folly doesn't make sense to those who are wise. How I got to go back to the parents here real quick because you all getting tired on me. But how many parents have asked your children about three or four times, why did you do that? How many know they don't have an answer? Because they can't figure out their own folly. They don't know why they did that stupid thing. And you're trying to ask them to explain it. They don't know. They don't know why they did that. And sinners don't know why they do what they do. Why are you crucifying that man? Because he said he was our Messiah. And he's not? No, he's not. Well, how do you know he's not? I don't know, but he's not. Did he heal you? Yeah, he healed me, but he's still not my Messiah. Did he do miracles? Yeah, he did miracles. But he's still not the Messiah. You can't make sense out of it. The people of, of Israel crucified their Messiah. They crucified him. What do you think they're going to do to you? Crazy people, you can't figure them out. I put in my Bible a long time ago. If I have a problem with somebody relationally, I need to handle it spiritually. If they don't want to do it biblically, I need to break them off quickly. Freedom, and you're all so tired looking at a baby. Counselor right here, brother, did I not just give them what you tried to explain to them? 
in years of counseling. This brother, some, some of you go to this brother for years. You need to take him out to a steak dinner tonight. Y'all would have been paying $1,000 an hour at some of the counselors you go to. This brother's given you so much time. Listen, I'm going to say it to you again. If we have a problem, you and I, you and I, this is how I'll know whether or not you're crazy. This is how I'll know. If you and I have a problem relationally, we better solve it spiritually as we try to do it biblically. But if you don't want to do that, I'm going to break you off quickly because your craziness is not going to mess with what I got going on. I don't owe you more than a spiritual and a biblical answer. I don't have to stay around your crazy anymore. I know that sounds opposite of the Bible, but did you ever see Jesus chase somebody? No, he never went after the ones that left him. Maybe Peter, but he didn't chase nobody that was crazy, so I could be maybe more clear. Did you ever see him chase the Jews saying, please, 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 please? Did you ever see him chase the rich man? And even with Peter, that's technically not chasing. He just went to him to check on him, but he didn't chase him. He didn't chase Judas. Did he chase Judas? Come on, help me preach. It's quiet in this Presbyterian church. Do I have any Pentecostals? See, this is the problem. Can I just be honest with you, Armando Rosa? Every time I preach, it's always about hell and sin and get right with God, and everybody says I'm so intense. Then I preach an encouraging message. This, did I call them sinners today? Did I rebuke them for sin? No. Did, then they get quiet on me. It's almost like they just want me to call out sin the entire time. This is supposed to be my time to show them how much I love them. This is supposed to be my time to encourage them. Come on. I'm not saying nothing bad about them. Amen. But they're getting quiet in the Presbyterian church. Some of you have quit already. I know some of you here. You've quit ministry because of a crazy person. And I'm trying to tell you, you can move on past them. We do. They may still come to the church. We're dealing with them. But don't quit the youth ministry because of a crazy youth. Don't quit going to the Bible study because of a crazy person to argue with in the parking lot because you blocked him in or her. You know, I mean, I'm telling you, people argue in the parking lot of church. People argue when they go out to dinner. You know, I've seen it all. And I know some of you, you've stopped doing ministry because of that. You stopped going out preaching because some crazy person spit on us. How many know that's a crazy person? They spit on you, full of the devil. I mean, even if you disagree with somebody, you don't have to spit on them. That's a nasty person. But some of you, literally, you tell me, well, I don't want to go out preaching with you guys because, you know, people spit on us and they, they you know, they, they yell at us. You're letting crazy people, think about this. Some of you are letting crazy people ruin the call of God on your life. I still hide my wallet when people come over from the church. But I'm not going to let crazy people stop me from inviting people over from the church. You can take the boy out the hood, but you can't take the hood out the boy. Are you listening? I've been robbed too many times. Now, I don't care who you are. I don't care how sanctified you are. Even when Pastor Berto comes around, I hide my wallet. I'm telling you to try to keep it on me just to make sure. You never know. He might be going through a hard time. Don't want to provide any temptation for a brother. Nobody can be along with my wife. I don't care who you are. If you're a person of the opposite sex, and even with these days of the same sex, you can't be alone with my wife. And if you're a female, you can't be alone with me. Because I'm not going to let crazy people steal the joy of ministry. Going back to our passage, please, in closing. Thank you. I feel that we got that. I didn't want to keep you too long. But Paul said such confidence, knowing that he could see people's lives changed by the Spirit of God. He said such confidence we have through Christ. And it's not that we're competent in ourselves. If you've ever seen someone doing their calling well, they look good at it. 
They encourage you by it. Man, you, you're encouraged by that brother. You're encouraged by that sister. This sister just started singing a song that the band didn't even know. How many know she did her calling well for us this morning? Can we give it up for Sister Esther? Amen. When, now highlight verse 5 for me, please. When you see a sister like this doing her calling like that, that doesn't come from her. She's not taking credit from, for that. She's giving all glory to God. When you see a man of God like this with his family, willing to come stay, come early, stay late, and keep loving on you and let you, because somebody may be a man today being discouraged, and he's up here ready to encourage you, and he makes that look easy, that's not easier for him than it is for somebody else, but he finds his competence in God. God has given this man the strength to stand up here and be here for another 15 minutes or a half hour, however long it takes for anybody here to hear his encouragement. Same thing with my sister right here. It may look easy because she's sweet and she's soft, but you know what? She has a life. She has things to do, but she's the best friend to so many people in this church. If I was to ask you, who are you closest to? So many here would say, Sister Rosa, Sister Rosa. What, she don't have nothing to do with her time? God gave her 28 hours in a day? No, but her competence comes from God. She'll catch, up two, she'll catch three buses just to go pray for you if that's what God told her to do. And God wants more of us to do that. It doesn't stop here. It, it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning. Who are those people you can influence today? Who are those now you can reach out to? Don't say you can't. Because you can. God will make you able. Amen? Can we stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Come on, let's give it up for the Lord. Amen. He didn't quit. He kept going. Let's bow our head and close our eyes in prayer. Today, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, we invite you to confess Jesus as Lord as you confess your sins. These prayer workers are here for anyone wanting to accept Christ today. Father, I pray for any lost person here today that they'll come to know and love you, that they'll come to believe in you, and that they will find you to be a great Savior. Father, we pray that in Jesus' name. If there's any backslider in here today as we get ready to dismiss, and you're a Christian, but you've been backsliding, there's things in your life that don't belong, maybe in your marriage, or you're a young person, it's the way you've been doing things with your friends, would you right now begin to ask Jesus to forgive you, to change you, so that you can be all in for God? Right now, Father, I pray for everyone here that's been compromising, for them to compromise no more, to get on fire for you, God, for them to be holy, holy today, fully holy in the name of Jesus. And lastly today, my Christian brothers and sisters, you're saved, you're sanctified, you know you're right with God, you're not a backslider, and you know that you're called. Would you raise up your hands right now? I just want to pray Holy Ghost fire on each and every one of us, that the Holy Spirit will empower you to reach out to those people that you're called to serve, to do the ministry that's before you, and that today you won't be discouraged, today you won't be another statistic, but you'll be a world changer, a history maker, a roof breaker. Hallelujah. You won't give, get discouraged. You won't give up. You're going to go and change the world for Jesus. You're not going to let fatigue wear you out today. Though you walk, you may grow weary. You might run and grow faint. But you're going to wait upon the Lord. And He's going to renew your strength. You will run and therefore not get weary. Walk in not faint. You might feel tired today, but you're going to get filled with the Holy Ghost. And fire right now in Jesus' name. A few more moments. Band, as we get ready to worship, the band's going to sing a song. If that's any of you today, come on up. But before we do, just right where you're at, just pray a few more moments. Because I want you to give God the glory. Come on, I want you to give God the praise. In your own words right now, I want you to give God your whole heart. We're not giving up, Jesus. 
We're not giving up on Chicago. We're not giving up on the communities of this city. Red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in your sight. To the entertainment industry, to the politicians, we pray for your grace and your mercy to come. On our young people, on our old people, on our moms and on our dads. Freedom in the name of Jesus. Freedom in this nation. May the power of the Holy Spirit come upon us now. Come on, somebody call out for the fire of God. More fire. Mas fuego in el nombre Jesus. More of the fire of God. More of the power of God. We need it, Lord. Fill me up, Jesus. Never the same again. Devil, you're a liar. Devil, you're a liar. Some of you just need to stomp your feet and say, Devil, you're underneath my feet in the name of Jesus. I will stomp on scorpions and serpents right now. Nothing by any means shall harm me. I am a called soldier of the Lord. Get behind me, Satan. We break every power of the enemy off this place, off the families, off this generation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, this city belongs to God. This city belongs to God. This nation belongs to God. Come on, somebody say, my family belongs to God. I shall see my family saved. I shall see my friends saved. Oh, hallelujah, I'm going to see the heavens opened up and the blessings of the Lord being poured out on this city. God's not done yet. Our competence comes from God. If he didn't give up on the the crooked Corinthians, he's not giving up on the crooked Chicagoans. There's more. There's more. Hallelujah. Revival's coming. Revival's coming. Revival's coming. Revival's coming in the name of Jesus. Satan won't get the last laugh over this city. We're going to finish our callings. Divorce can't stop us. The past abuse can't stop us. Our sins of the past can't stop us. Addiction won't stop us. We are more than conquerors through Christ who called us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Saints, as you get ready to go, make sure you let the world know you are competent in God. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. Can you bless him one more time as we get ready to close out? You're welcome to stay now. Please come get prayer. Get encouragement. Otherwise, we'll see you at Life Groups. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Come on, man. Lead us in worship.